What the fuck is up, world? Fiali, Tlaltik Pak. We are back in this bitch. Another episode of El Grito. Another podcast for that ass. Coming live about, well, live-ish. More like a turn of phrase, if you will. But um, coming live nonetheless, because, well, I'm live when I'm recording it, right? Uh, when you're hearing it, who the fuck knows? Could be today, the day that I drop it. Could be some indeterminate amount of time in the future. The point I'm trying to say is, it's been about a week and a half. See, I'm slowly getting better since my last podcast, okay? Um, and on this next podcast, yo, I'm not even going to beat around the bush because straight up, I'm just continuing along the story that I've been telling this whole fucking start of 2021. And I don't know if you've heard this or not yet, but the truth about stories, dog, is they're all we fucking got. So with that in mind, there really is no reason for me to fucking belay this introduction aside from a quick little fucking uh, shout out. Not Well, I guess shout out to everybody that's listening to this motherfucking podcast, first and foremost. All right, if you're listening to this shit, what's up, dog? I see you and I appreciate the fuck out of you. You have no idea. Um, partly because it means that I'm not just mindlessly babbling on into the abyss, but also because if you found this, it means because you fucking vibe with what it is that I'm saying, which means more to me than anything for no other reason than it states that there is people out there, there are people out there that feel and think along the same lines, not entirely, I'm sure, but certainly along the same lines as I do, which is comforting because it makes the giant world that we're living in, the infinite universe potentially even that we're living in, a little less... um, foreign and a little bit more familiar so a little bit of loneliness that you experience right i know i've experienced from feeling like yo am i the only one that fucking feels this type of way type shit nah dog you ain't and uh that's what that's why i'm fucking thankful that you're here so shout out to you for being so because it shows me that nah me personally that nah you ain't alone and hopefully it does the same for you as well right um what i was trying to say though is just a quick little plug rather not a shout out but a plug to myself Okay, and it is just the it's the social media plug, dog. You already know the move. Okay, if you haven't already, follow your boy on the inst- on the gram, OG underscore Ice Nice thirteen. You can keep up with me, the podcast, and all sorts of other shit that I post that I don't necessarily talk about on the podcast itself. Okay, so with that in mind, let's just jump right into it because your boy, of course, has lots to say, and we're coming up off the heels of our previous podcast, which was on Nietzsche. Okay. And if there could be an ultimate takeaway from the Nietzschean podcast that I dropped last week, because a lot of what I'm going to talk about this week, excuse me, is also uh, influenced by Nietzsche, right? I've had this conversation multiple times throughout the podcast. I'm not going to reiterate it, okay? Um, And in fact, I'll just state again that Nietzsche is more of a, uh, there's a Nawa influence in Nietzsche. So there's no no surprise as to why I fucking, in the Western tradition, have latched on to Nietzsche, okay? But anyways, um, if there's any... Takeaway that we're going to take from the previous podcast on Nietzsche is to tie it closely to the idea that I've been fucking with, and that is of the death of God through this Nietzschean lens that, you know, because he's the one that tells us God is dead. Now, I'm not using that language to be inflammatory. I'm not using it to be fucking, you know, needlessly gratuitous. I'm using it because that is what it is, dog. The idea that everything that we're discussing on this particular podcast series, but everything that's happening currently in the Western world is basically this, okay? It's the idea that Nietzsche fucking discovered. Well, he didn't discover, I should say, like, it was made aware to him and when he was philosophizing, and that is that once the Christian God is dead, it takes away all of the imagined order, if you will, that was created in, you know, with this Christian God as the foundation for, okay? So when I'm talking about, like, the death of God or God is dead, that's what I'm referring to, dog. I'm referring to this Western ideology that has sustained the world that we're living on. And what makes this fucking ideology shit such a trip, bro, is because basically, like, the truth about stories is they're all we fucking got, okay? And I'm going to get to the Truth About Stories podcast inevitably, okay? But I'm going to keep fucking with it through the ideological lens to try to drive home the idea that without stories, yo, we're basically fucking lost at sea, if you will. We are lost in the sauce. We have no idea who we are, where we came from, why we're here, etc. So the imagined order, if you will, is nothing more than the various stories that have been developed throughout the course of human history in an attempt to make sense of all the aforementioned questions, right? Now, the interesting part, of course, is what the Nahuatl understood full well and that there, you know, in this world of constant flux and motion is no fixed truth. 
And if there is no fixed truth, and that means that this fucking this slippery world that we're living in, if there's no fixed truth on it, then that ultimately means that every story that we've created, there's really no foundation for it and thus no ultimate reason as to why we should believe in it, including the Western Judeo-Christian world. It's no exception, okay? So when Nietzsche is saying God is dead, when I'm referring to the death of God, that's what I'm referring to. I'm referring essentially to the death of a story that has helped ground people in reality for an indeterminate amount of time in the future, okay? Now, this is a huge idea because I had in, 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 intertwined in it fundamentally so is the notion that you might hear academic dorks like myself talk about all the fucking time uh in fact there was a meme that made reference to it right (laughs) and i personally found the meme quite fucking offensive uh because i do understand what we mean when we're saying this i'm not just throwing that shit around out there and i hope that i've done a good enough job to help you understand it as well and if i haven't then i'll just keep trying to do so um until we do right but it's the deconstruction and the construction, essentially, of ontologies. Ontologies, I'm sorry. So again, an ontology, just to keep it real simple, dog, is the fucking, the way, the, the nature of reality, okay? So how this ties into the story shit is that the, the stories are what fucking shape the reality for us. They explain to us, if you will, in story form, the nature of reality. So when you're constructing a fucking ontology... You are creating, if you will, the story that is going to shape the way that, you know, you view reality, the way that we view reality. It's going to shape the structure of reality. Now, one of the biggest problems that modernists like to make, one of the biggest problems that Greek philosophers, Western traditional philosophers don't even consider is that these stories are constructed with, you know, our lenses, if you will, that I discussed before, our ideological lenses, And what happens is if we mistake the process of constructing this uh, ontology with an absolutist approach, what basically happens is that inevitably anybody that doesn't fit into this mold is going to be considered inferior, right? Which is obviously a huge fucking problem Uh, because at its worst, as I've already discussed in the previous podcast, it will always collapse into ethno-nationalism that, you know, obviously we're all familiar with what happened in World War II with the execution of fucking Jewish people. We're all familiar with what happened here on Turtle Island, the indigenous Holocaust, etc., right? So we know that when it's, slip, it's a very slippery slope that has fucking disastrous results. So um, the problem then that these fuckheads are making when they're constructing this reality is that they don't consider, if you will, their ideological lens that, they, that, was, that influenced this story, the ideological lens of the fucking... Ancient Greeks is one of misogyny. It's one of fucking uh, pedophilia. It's one of fucking endorsing slavery. So we should not be surprised then that we're living in a world where these actions are still very fucking rampant. Why? Because the ancient Greek tradition of philosophy is what informed the construction of the ontology that we are currently finding ourselves fucking beholden to. Okay? So the goal then is to deconstruct this ontology, to fucking do away with this story to find all the fucking reason why this story is stupid as fuck and replace it with a competing ontology. I don't really like the word competing because I don't fuck with the idea of hierarchy. I don't know how many times I have to fucking emphasize this, right? But I will continue to do so until it's no longer necessary. The When you say competing ideologies, that implies some sort of hierarchy that I'm trying to divorce myself from completely. It's not a competing ontology. It's just a different way of viewing reality, a different way of engaging with reality, a different way in which essentially reality was constructed, a different story about how reality is. Okay, so um, when I'm talking about the deconstruction of and construction of ontologies and the death of God specifically, I do so. I call it the death of God or God is dead because it's so much easier to say that. And again, it avoids the pitfalls that I mentioned in that fucking meme that I was talking about, about the person who wrote that whenever you hear these academic nerds talking about ontologies and and, uh, epistemologies that are kind of just lobbying the term back and forth, you know, volleying it back and forth and no one really knows what it means. Like, no, dog. Like, people know what it means. You're just a fucking idiot, okay? Um, And, you know, those of us that do know what it means, we understood that when we saw your tweet or your fucking meme, just throwing that out there just in case on the off chance you happen to hear this or speak to someone that you know that does, right? (laughs) So anyways, before I continue along with the podcast, just a little quick rehashing, okay? The quick rehashing is simple. I'm currently in the midst of a podcast series that's going to set up the tensions between modernism and postmodernism, right? And it's an issue that I'm highlighting through the phenomena, obviously, of Jordan Peterson. Again, homeboy really is just a figurehead, though, because he's nothing to me, really. (laughs) He's nothing more than a talking head, okay? He's a talking head for an ideology 
that is 2,000 plus years in the making. One that, obviously, through the, you know, this is what Nietzsche's talking about, wake, uh, in the, rather, wake of the scientific revolution, has yanked out from beneath the Western world its foundation, right? It's, it's ripped away the story, the little bedtime story that they've been telling themselves for the past 2,000 plus years, okay? Now, as I mentioned before in the previous podcast, it's been a fucking over 100, it's been 300, I should say, dog, years since this happened. And yet, as Nietzsche predicted, we have yet, well, not say we, like motherfuckers like me, and certainly probably you if you're fucking with this podcast, there's plenty of us out there, right, who have. We've, we understand this and we're okay with this, okay? It's not an issue to us, but since we're forced to live in the world with the majority of the people for whom this is still an issue, we need to address it, okay? And the issue here is that despite the fact that it's quite clear that God is dead, we've yet to concede that fact, right? And thus, we're still upholding this imagined order of the Western world, okay, through a Christian foundation, right, that is no longer viable, which means that everything, again, from their morality, and I say they because I make, I make no delusions, dog. People like I, we, people like you probably, we've never been really welcomed into that world in this day and age. We've been beholden to that world in the sense that you must follow this religion, you must follow this economic system, you must follow this world of, you know, labor, but we're not really welcomed into it. They don't want us in this fucking world. We're just forced to be there so we can uphold it for them, okay? So it, that's, that shit's their world, dog. I don't fucking... I live in that world to the extent that I'm forced to do so, that I'm being held fucking hostage, essentially, right? Let me better phrase that. What I'm trying to say is that, yeah, dog, we're forced to fucking live with these people, okay? Um, because obviously they are the ones that are in power and they get to determine the outcome of my life and of your life for no other reason, okay, than, you know... They had the force to be able to do so. We discussed in our previous podcast. Again, this is just a quick rehashing, right? And the problem is not, you know, like there's plenty of problems, obviously. There's no need to address them um, individually because you know them. You've lived through them. You've been forced to live through them, right? But on their end, the problem is that they refuse to realize that this fucking ideology, is, it's bankrupt, bro. It's been bankrupted, Okay. And that because it's been bankrupted, they've been left with a fucking enormous responsibility. And that is that, you know, the only purpose in life is that which we humans could give to it. And this is kind of the point that I was getting at in the previous podcast with the notion of the Nietzschean master-slave dialect. The master's going to acknowledge this fact and the slaves simply aren't. Why? Because the masters are strong enough to fucking, you know, work towards giving their life meaning and value as opposed to having it given to them while the slaves aren't. Right now, for many of us, again, the slaves, <laughs> this weight is entirely too much for them to bear. So we deceive ourselves, if you will, into thinking that the current structure that we have in place is, in fact, the point of life. Now, this is, again, where this entire master slave dialect shit I was talking about in the last podcast comes into play because the masters are going to acknowledge this dog and the slaves. I cannot reiterate enough. Refuse to have to do so now. Honestly, though, despite this whole shit that I've been talking about so far, it really is more than just the death of God, yo, okay? This, again, this idea is nothing more than an attempt to lay foundation on a slippery world that is always in movement, okay? And unless one has taken the time to examine life and, you know, our role in it, we probably haven't considered the fact that, you know, the world we're living in, it's an illusion that was, for the most part, created by humans where you get into this really dope shit where we start talking about in modernism post-modernism rather about how language shapes reality and shit and as you can tell for those of you who are watching in the video you know i got plenty of fucking notes lined up to talk all about this you know what i'm saying but for now the basic idea is simple we it's up to us as humans to give life meaning purpose and value not just on an individual scale but on a collective scale as well through the language and the words that we use to express this reality that we're living in with one another because language is not private. This is the whole Wittgensteinian thing for those of you real fucking philosophy dorks who are listening in, right? Shit where he's talking about private language. You cannot have a private language, dog. No one will understand what the fuck you're talking about. Language is collective, okay? And the language that we use to you know communicate the reality that we're living in, it shapes reality for us, right? So um, in this particular sense then, what I mean is that by, you know... <laughs> We are doing nothing more, essentially, than perpetuating the structure and belief that we're socialized to believe with, right? When we're telling these stories about um, what we think reality is here in the 21st century in the Western world. And again, the truth about stories is 
they're all we fucking got. So what I mean by what I'm saying is that, you know, we're doing nothing more than perpetuating the structures and beliefs that we're socialized with. What I'm saying is that you're just rehashing a story. You're telling a story that you inherited and you're repeating that story to someone else. Okay. And then collectively among one another, we look at each other and we say, oh yeah, I've heard that story before. I know exactly what you're talking about. Therefore, whatever reality it is that you are perceiving, I can have some sort of access to it, despite the fact that I am not you, okay, and I don't see the world the way that you do, I can still have some sort of access to the reality that you're experiencing because the story you are telling me is familiar, okay? And thus, the truth about stories being all we fucking got, okay? So, to this extent, when we start considering it in terms of the stories that we're telling each other, it's really difficult to blame people for not recognizing, um, for not, just to be clear, recognizing the challenge at our feet by the death of God and picking it up, okay? Now, what I'm saying is, it's, it's, it, let, me, let me expand upon what I'm saying here, okay? What I'm saying is like, it's like this thing, it's just like an inherent trait of humans. I don't have to tell you about this. You know it full well. You've done it. I've done it. You've had other people do it to you. So have I. Like, it's just, it is what it is, okay? It's a fundamental nature of thought unfolding, okay? And that is that we like to fucking, we divide. We're, there's just this tribe chimp type mentality where we just fucking put it us versus them type shit. You know what I'm saying? And one of the very common us versus them that I'm familiar with, and especially in an academic source, because I don't know if you know this or not, homeboy, but academia, homegirl, home, non-gender exclusive, it's very gender, or it's not, it's very gender inclusive academia is, right? Thankfully, now it is, okay? Because we're slowly starting to fucking deconstruct the ancient Greek tradition that said women cannot be philosophers or, you know, women cannot be scientists. Can you, it, it pains my heart. Man, mother, motherfuck, okay, the burning of Alexandria. It burns, it breaks my heart rather thinking about how many fucking women, how many minorities in general, how many gay people were excluded from the creation of knowledge for no other reason than they didn't fit into the fucking mold of what these piece of shit, bitch ass ancient Greeks thought, or who I should say, were capable of creating knowledge, right? Of disseminating knowledge. Like that shit, that is what breaks my heart. Okay. Anyways, going back to this is, um, in academia, it's, it's very fucking elitist, homeboy, right? So what I'm trying to say then is that one of the more common ways of differentiating an us versus them mentality, if you will, is by the, the, the woke, quote unquote, and the not woke, essentially, right? The educated and the non-educated. The people who, you know, you can have conversations with about the shit that we're talking about and the people that you can't have these conversations that we're talking about, right? So one of the ways that this fucking elitism manifests in academia is we like to say like, oh, those fucking plebs, they don't have any idea of what the fuck is really going on when it comes to fucking the world that we're living in, right? And I'm going to look down on them like typical snooty shit, right? Because of this very fact. In fact, this is me to an extent betraying, if you will, my Nietzschean fucking, uh, again, quote unquote Nietzschean um, convictions because... Nietzsche has no problem with this. Obviously, he's going to say like, yeah, dog, some people are fucking masters. Some people are slaves. Some people are herds. Some people are the Ubermensch. Okay, that's okay. Now, I don't disagree entirely. But what I'm saying is that for the longest time still to this day, that knowledge was fucking hidden behind paywalls. Okay, not so much now because we're, I'm giving it to you. People are giving it to you for free. So now it's still there. It's just a matter of whether you're going to want to fucking take the knowledge or not, which obviously there's a lot of fucking people out there who don't like, you know, to each their own, I guess. Right. Do I think the world would be a better place if they did? Of course. Am I going to fucking force people to listen to the fucking ramblings of a, you know, philosophy professor talking about abstract, theoretical, philosophical concepts? Of course not, dog. Of course not. And, you know, if they choose to, great. If they don't, it is what it is, right? Anyways, um, so going back to the point that I'm trying to make is that we can't really blame people, again, for not recognize the challenge that's being laid at our feet by the death of God and ensuingly either refusing to or actually picking it up, if you will, embracing the challenge, right? And it's for a variety of reasons, chief among which being the like, okay, for one, unless by chance these people are, you know, they just happen to be curiously inclined, we have to hope, we have to, this is where the Heideggerian lens, right, is going to come into play. So if you're, you know, just tuning in for this podcast for the first time, I have a, a podcast on Heidegger. So, you know, it'll make a little more sense if you go back and listen to that one. I believe it's called being in time. I don't know what the fuck it's called. It's it's back there somewhere, right? And it's in the it's in the description. You can find the description. Okay. Anyways, this is where that Heideggerian part's gonna come into play where we talk about Dasein, the state of fallenness, etc. Right? 
This is kind of what the point that is that he's talking about, where unless you either happen by chance to be curiously inclined, you either have to hope that some drastic life event is going to wake you, if you will, from your state of fallenness, right? Or that you just happen by chance to walk into a philosophy class like mine or listen to a philosophy podcast like mine, right? That even discusses this type of shit in the first place, because believe you me, homeboy, there's plenty of them. Plenty of them that will never make reference to a single fucking thing that I've talked about in this podcast and previous ones, despite the fact that in my own personal experience, it happens to be most often than not the shit people are mostly interested in, okay? So the point that I'm saying is that like either just you either happen to be fucking curiously inclined and you think about this shit on your own or you're fucking shaken out of your state of fallenness by something drastic like a death. Okay, or you just happen to stumble upon a fucking philosophy page on the gram or into a philosophy classroom like mine. Okay, and the reason why is because we've been simply socialized to passively accept the reality of the situation at hand as normal. Now, this is not even to say it's like, you know, conspiratorial, because to say that it's conspiratorial is to say that it's limited to just our time. But honestly, this this is the, the this is the nature of humanity we're talking about here. Humans in general, we m- most of us we tend to strive for the bare minimum. We're just trying to get by, and most of us are content with just getting by. I know me to myself, I fight tooth and nail every single day with the feeling of content, right? Uh, being content because it's a fucking hell of a drug, homeboy, right? Um, so to say that it's something of a conspiracy, it kind of it, it takes away from the individual responsibility that we have, which is something that I would never want to do, right? betray my quote-unquote existential roots in doing so so um i'm not gonna say that it's not though at the same time something of a conspiracy because obviously we've all here in america at least gone through the bullshit ass k-12 through public education school system and we know full well that they don't fucking encourage critical thinking we know full well that they don't fucking you know encourage us to step out of line okay because it's typical herd mentality bullshit and ham the nail that stands up gets hammered down okay so I guess in this in this particular sense, the word conscientiously is perhaps too strong of a term, right? What I'm trying to say is that, like, on the one hand, yes, it's a conspiracy because the public school systems, day schools, don't teach us what we need to know, right, to get by. But at the same time, like, we as individuals, we bear a lot of that responsibility because, bitch, why the fuck are you relying on a public school to educate your stupid ass anyways, okay? Pick up a fucking book, right? Go fucking YouTube, all, everything you believe in, debunked, right? Expand your horizon of possibilities, essentially. Like, we have the power to do so, right? Especially now in the modern age with all the technological advancements that are available to us. Um, but even then, okay, so let's just, let's just assume then that even, even then... If we are fortunate enough to recognize this fact, the fact here being the responsibility laid on our feet by the death of God and the, you know, the challenge to either pick it up or leave it there, right? Um, even if we are fortunate enough to recognize this fact, without taking the time out to actually do the quote-unquote shadow work, if you will, necessary to come to terms with the grips, uh, necessary to come to terms with, or to come to terms with this fact, it really will be all for naught. Like, you can fucking... And I know because I've been there, right? Um, this really started to fucking... This this shit really started to make sense to me back in about 2012, okay? And it took me... <laughs> how long, bro? Six years when I started this podcast for the first time. It was already a six-year span between that, okay? Um, to truly come to terms and to, uh, truly come to grips with what it means that this responsibility has been laid before us because of this scientific revolution and Nietzsche's proclamation that God is dead and the rug being ripped out from underneath us in the Western world, right? So it's the point that I'm trying to say is like it you can you can you can come face to face with this, you can be confronted with this, but unless we actually take the time to do the fucking philosophical shadow work, if you will, uh, to come to terms with grips with what this is saying, then it really doesn't mean anything. Okay, it's just. It's like, it's the whole fucking uh, epistemic um, conundrum. I made a video about it before. Um, the example that I gave was the Harry Potter dork, right? Uh, Neville Longbottom with a little red shit, that little shit that turns red, a little uh, ball that turns red, okay? I call it the, uh, the Neville Longbottom conundrum. He talks about how uh, the way the little red ball works is uh, it's supposed to remind him of something that he's forgotten. But the problem is he can't remember what it is that he's forgotten, right? That's the whole epistemic paradox. I've said it thousands of times, but I'll continue to repeat it. How do you know what you don't know if you don't know what you don't know? Because in order to know what you don't know, you have to know what you don't know, right? So that's kind of what's happening here. Like you can, you could, you could learn, you could learn, right? 
that, you know, God is dead and God remains dead and we killed him. But if you don't really do the fucking philosophical work necessary to come to terms with grips with what that means, it's just words. And that's why you see people getting so fucking pissed off about it because they've been confronted with it, but they have no fucking clue what it means. Right. So in this respect, then we stop to see, at least me personally, in hood philosophy, for sure. I don't give a fuck about academia philosophy and what they stop to think. I know me when I'm confronted with this and I start to think, OK, well, if that's the case, then. It seems as though philosophy really is then nothing more than a toolkit, bro. You know what I'm saying? And in this instance, it's like a lantern, if you will. The philosophy is a lantern that we carry. It's a multi-instrument device, bro. And in this particular instance, it's a lantern. Again, and we carry this lantern with us into a very, very dark place, okay? And that very, very dark place is within our hearts. It's within our minds. It's within our tonalis. It's within our soul, if you will, okay? It is whatever or wherever the fuck you think the subliminal, the unconscious part of yourself resides, okay? And that is where the philosophical journey for this particular podcast, but also the foundation of hood philosophy, really starts to kick into gear, okay? We start to see that this lantern is there. It's ready to be used. But unless we actually pick it up and get fucking moving, it's useless, bro. It's fucking useless. The lantern is of no use. This is the point that I've been trying to emphasize through both Kierkegaard and Nietzsche, as well as a part of my other beef with academic philosophy. And the beef here is how the point of, there is no, or rather, uh, that is how philosophy without action is just an intellectual masturbatory exercise. You cannot have just theorizing with no actual action. This is one of the things, by the way, um, that I started to realize a little bit more because, you know, back in the day, I used to be that dude to stud up on the fucking corners with signs, bro, and saying, this is wrong and here's why. But then I started realizing like, yo, this, this, this is really, this is not doing it. At least it's not for me. I applaud the people who still organize and do that type of shit. But for me personally, that, that wasn't my space. Why wasn't it my space? Because I realized that for what I was trying to do, it was a, a masturbatory exercise. And the reason why is because, yeah, I had the philosophy but I wasn't using it to fucking, to, to gain the real knowledge, bro. I was using it to stun on motherfuckers. Like, I know why things are wrong because I'm a philosopher and blah, blah, blah. Like, it was fake shit, dog. And that's why I personally stopped doing it. I'm not saying that the other people out there who are doing it are the same. I'm saying me personally. And that's why I stopped fucking doing it, right? I realized, like, yo, you want to make some real change, bro? Apply the actual philosophical tools that you have to make the change where it's really going to fucking count. And that is... Within yourself, bro. At the time when I was doing a little stand outside on the corner protest, yo, your homeboy, your boy rather, was fucking, I was a, I was a mess, yo, like straight the fuck up. I had all sorts, I still have a lot of fucking unresolved trauma issues and shit, you know, but back then, whoo, baby, it was a lot worse, okay? And I, <laughs> I was using that kind of shit as a distraction of having to deal with the real type of shit. So finally, I came to terms with myself and I said, let's, let's take this lamp and let's fucking in, let's illuminate the real place that it needs to be. And that is, again, inside the abyss of your heart, the abyss of your mind, the abyss of your fucking tonali, homeboy. OK, and realize that it's so much more this philosophy shit than just a fucking intellectual exercise. Right. It really does have the ability to radically transform not just individual lives, but humanity as a collective whole. How? Because. Say what the fuck you say about philosophy. Make all the jokes you want about philosophers. At the end of the day, everything you know about fucking reality comes by way of philosophizing. Philosophizing is the grand story that we tell each other, that we've told each other collectively throughout the course of human history. At some point in the construction of that story, at the construction of that ontology, was the practice of philosophizing. So this shit, it has the power to transform the way we interface, the way we view reality, okay? So the question then is, at this point, it seems whether after having acknowledged, if you will, the fucked up way our reality is structured, if we will actually do the work necessary to overcome it. Now, what I mean by this is very simple, right? In philosophy, we often talk about learning to live a good life, which is understandable and a much sought after goal for obvious fucking reasons. Okay, everyone wants to live a good, happy life. The question is, how many of us are willing to do the actual work necessary to live this good, happy life? Now, 
if it isn't already obvious, this shit is not just going to be handed to us, bro. Okay, we have to earn it through intense spiritual and intellectual work. This is what the Nahuatl were talking about when they're, talk, when they're saying the Tlamatini, the Tascatlipoca, making wise the countenance of the heart in the face, revealing the face through the smoking mirror, okay? This is what Nietzsche is talking about when he's stating that we must spiritualize and learn the most intense form of power that there truly is that's only available to us via intellectual work, and that is spiritual strength, right? This when this niche he's telling us, he's, you know, he's not only telling us that we have the ability to do so, the Nahuatl, they're not just telling us that we have the ability to do so, but that it should be the work that we engage in for the sole purpose of living this good, happy life that we desire. You have to do the shadow work, homeboy. It's fucking necessary. You cannot live a good, happy life without the shadow work first and foremost, right? But make absolutely no mistake about it. When you stare into the abyss, this is the scary part. That bitch really, it really do be staring right back directly into you, dog. That's the fucking terrifying part. So we talk, it's so easy to, you know, you see it all the time on the gram. I see it all the time on the gram. Um, how flippant people are to just tell others, just do the shadow work, bro. You'll be fine. Like, yeah, for sure. But let's also acknowledge the fact that there's some haunting shit going on in that fucking shadow. And that, you know... The abyss, that's where the, that's the abyss. And, you know, it really will look directly back into you, okay? Um, so, you know, you got your little lantern there and you're ready to walk into that dark forest of your fucking, you know, Tonali, your soul. And that soul is ready for you with, it, it's it's compact, dog, okay? Now, this is obviously, this is, I'm just, the whole time I'm talking about this, I just can't stop thinking about Harry Potter, how beautiful Harry Potter is, right? This is the fucking dark, it's all metaphor, bro. It's all stories. These are all fucking... The truth about stories is they're all we fucking got, right? And Harry Potter, Star Wars, Game of Thrones, they're all just stories that reiterate these classic archetypes. As you can tell, I've been spiffing up on my Jung, okay? <laughs> Somewhere along this podcast series, there's going to be a Jungian podcast. I'll get it to you as soon as fucking I can, right? I said every week, but obviously I've been slacking on the Mackin. I'll pick it back up, though, because I got to get this bitch out. It's a long story I got to tell, okay? Anyways, going back to the Harry Potter shit, the Forbidden Forest, right? There's all sorts of creatures in that forbidden in that forbidden forest, homeboy. And obviously the forbidden forest is a metaphor for you, like what's inside of you, okay? And there's all kinds of shit in there. And this is daunting in and of itself, especially for those of us whose will, in the Nietzschean sense, has yet to be hardened. It I use a shitty metaphor, but it, it, it relates nonetheless. The shitty metaphor is you're not going to just sit under a squat, you're not gonna just stand rather under a squat rack. And fucking uh, squat 225 pounds if you've never fucking squat pressed in your life before. If you've never squatted in your life before. You probably won't even be able to lift the bar alone, homeboy. I'm being completely honest with you. Because even the bar alone is heavy. If you've not even done body weight squats, right? You got to work your way up. And the same is true for the will being strengthened when you start to stare into the abyss. Like, it's easy for people who have done the shadow work and have become familiar with the shadow work to jump into that bitch and be like, yo, what's up? It's me, your boy, right? But it's fucking very difficult for people who have spent an entire life avoiding that very that very region of their soul, their, their tonali, for the obvious reason that it's filled with fucking monsters. The monsters, of course, being trauma and all that other kind of shit. You know what I'm saying? Now, um, the irony, of course, the irony is that the only way this will can be hardened is by staring into the abyss, which obviously, like I just mentioned, is a daunting task, which will inevitably take us, if we go deep enough, into the darkest recesses of our being. It will force us to confront, either willingly or otherwise, dog, one way or another, our deepest traumas and fears, many of which we'd rather not address. We spend an entire life constructing fucking defense mechanisms to avoid having to do so, right? The most obvious one that I could talk about at this potential point is death, bro. Like, that's what everybody's fucking afraid of. And if anyone tells you that they're not, they're fucking lying, dog. You have people who have come to grips with it, maybe. You have people who have engaged in the shadow work necessary, like myself. I'm, I'm not trying to hype myself up. I'm just telling you, like, yo, this shit terrified the fuck out of me. It still does, right? Just not as much because I've done a fucking a lot of the shadow work necessary to have to deal to, to come to terms with my finitude if you will with you know the, the finitude of all living things on earth your loved ones yourself included you know what i'm saying 
Um, but it's the most obvious one because, you know, that's what everyone's fucking afraid of. And if you're going to if you're going to go into that abyss, dog, guess what? That's just one. That's just one of the many monsters that's there waiting for you. They're just it's just that. If anything, that's probably the Voldemort of the monsters. You know what I'm saying? Like everything else, those are fucking scary, too. A dragon is terrifying, no doubt. Uh, it's like depression. Uh, you know, fucking those giant spiders in Harry Potter. Those shits are scary, too. That probably be some of your unresolved mommy or daddy issues. Uh, uh, troll. Let's see. What, what, what is one that we can make up for the troll? How about mental illness, right? Like, just whatever. These are sloppy, lazy, but the examples remain nonetheless, okay? But in that forest, that's where that's where Voldemort started, right? After he was, he was trying to survive off feeding off the unicorn blood, okay? Um, there's, there's that one right there, death, right? And guess what? If you're going to go into that dark forest, it's inevitable. You're going to stick your head in the dirt, right? Or rather, it's inevitable that you're going to confront that, okay? That unfortunate fact, or rather, just fortunate or unfortunate, whatever language you choose to explain your views of death, right? For me, just a fact. It's neither fortunate or fortunate, but a fact of life, and that is death, right? And when that happens, you're going to be faced with one of two possibilities. You can either stick your fucking head in the dirt, right? Or you can confront it. No matter what, though, we realize it's not going to stop it from coming, right? In fact, if we do stick our head in the dirt, it's only going to be worse in the end, because when the moment does arrive, not only will you not be prepared for it, but you will not have made peace with all the things you wanted to do before leaving this bitch, dog. Leading to a very, very difficult transition from this life into the next. This is one of those seeming, I'll scare quote it for those of you who aren't watching the video, but it's a seeming platitude that is often uh, tossed around in philosophy. Uh, the platitude here being, it's just, it's been so fucking, it's just been so it's so saturated that some people they you know uh it's kind of like a, a akin to the whole live laugh love at one point live laugh love probably made someone feel profoundly special and happy in this universe right by realizing that it is a pretty simple truth about reality but after you fucking you know it's been repeated the story was repeated for so much that it became a fucking joke right um it became a platitude even uh and the same is true when philosophy when you say the whole point of studying philosophy is to prepare oneself for one's death like at this point it's like okay you fucking emo calm the fuck down it's not that crucial type shit you know what i'm saying but it really is dog like in many respects that's kind of what uh you know at least from one particular you know facet of this philosophy in this particular sense absolutely so right like you're you philosophize in order to prepare yourself you want to live a good life you better come to terms with grips with the, the, with the one thing that strips many people from the ability of do so to do so rather, and that is their fear of death. Because some of us are so terrified of fucking dying that we spend our entire life not even living because we're stuck in fear essentially, right? So if you want to fucking overcome that fear, you got to overcome the source of it, which is death. Which is the only way to do so. The thought logic goes is to you know philosophize because philosophizing is the act of coming to terms with one's finitude, with one's inevitable death, right? Now, again, <laughs> once you're in that forest, dog, everything's going to come to fucking four. You got some unresolved mommy and daddy issues? Guess what, homie? You, you're going to continue. You know, they're, they're going to be there. They're going to be there, okay? And you can either address them or not. And if you don't, well, guess what? You're going to continue acting out of trauma response for the rest of your life until you do deal with them. And, and let's, you know, just to continue along with the thought logic here, if doing so has made you unhappy thus far, you really have no reason to assume that this shit is just going to magically heal, if you will, as you get older, right? Because, you know, not just when you get older, rather, sorry, I fucking had a little brain fart there, but not just when you get older, but it's not going to magically heal when you buy a new whatever or anything else that we're told is what's going to make you happy in this society, right? It's you either deal with it or you don't. It's that simple. You, you can either be a fucking 34-year-old, for instance, like myself, who is going through the uncomfortable work of having to deal with all this shadow shit, or, you know, I could spend the rest of my life in, in my 80s, 90s, if I get to live that long, right? Having to repeat the same fucking cyclical patterns of behavior that have led to nothing but unhappiness in my life up until uh, I was about like, say, 28, maybe, when I started to really engage with the shadow work, right? Why? Because I was tired of repeating these fucking cyclical behaviors of pattern. I really was like Sisyphus rolling that rock up and down the hill. Some bad shit would happen. I would revert. I would fall back to these fucking 
default patterns of behavior, uh, these self-destructive patterns of behavior that I had constructed along the, you know, uh, in my earlier days, to in my earlier life, rather, to have to deal with the fucking trauma that I was experiencing at any given moment, whether it be dissociating, which was my favorite, fucking just mindlessly staring at the wall and shit. This is before social media for all you young bucks who have no fucking idea what I'm talking about, right? Um, now... I still dissociate, right? But <laughs> I have the luxury when it does hit of not as often, nowhere near as often. Before it was terrible. Homeboy, I always spent fucking literally months at a time when I couldn't even get out of bed, right? Now it hit me like a day and I'm like, oh, fuck, right? I remember this place, but then I'll snap out of it. I'm like, oh, dog, that's enough of this bullshit, right? And the next day I'm okay, right? Um, but the dissociating was one of my favorite forms of self-destructive patterns of behavior because some traumatic shit happens and rather than having to deal with it, you just, yeah, you just completely zone out, right? You're like, I'm not, I'm not dealing with any of this. This is too much for me to handle, right? But the problem is that in, you know, creating that space between you and the event, obviously you lose a lot of agency. You make a lot of bad choices. You, you lose the agency and the bad choices are made for you by people who want to make the bad choices for you so they can benefit from you being in this bad position. Or you personally, you know, you allow these bad shits to happen and now you have to fucking deal with the repercussions in the future. And, you know, it just compounds further in this snowball effect to where suddenly everything that's around your life is nothing but this negative fucking cloud of that, you know, you caused. That could have been avoided if you would have not dissociated. I would could have avoided had I not dissociated and dealt with them, right? And if I don't fucking do the shadow work necessary to address the fact that when I'm confronted with trauma, because, you know, just because the trauma occurred in the past doesn't mean that it stops occurring. Life is trauma. Life is fucking, it's an assault, as I've said before, right? Existence is an assault. And uh, if I keep responding uh, in, in these traumatic, uh, to these traumatic events in a fucking dissociative manner, this snowball is never going to go away. It's just going to get bigger and bigger until the point where I'm 90, right? And I have this fucking giant snowball over me and I'm literally just fucking waiting to die because I can't deal with how fucking miserable life is up until this point. And then I'm going to be one of those people that's all curmudgeonly and old and saying life is fucking pointless and blah, blah, blah. Like, no, dog, it's not pointless, okay? You just did not do the fuck. This is me talking to me. You just did not do the shadow work necessary to have to overcome all the shit that was keeping you from living, potentially living a good, happy life. Why? Because you were a weak bitch and it was so much easier to drink, do drugs, philander, right? All that kind of shit that I used to do when I was younger than it was to have to deal with your unresolved mommy issues. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> now... This is what I'm talking about when I state that, yeah, dog, you can get older and then you're just going to be that old creepy dude at the club trying to pick up fucking young chicks because you never dealt with your fucking trauma from a childhood. You know what I'm saying? You can be in your 90s and still fucking acting like that because you never dealt with the trauma that led you to that position in the first place, right? Again, nothing is just handed to us. It's not going to magically occur. We have to earn this shit and probably for the best because if we didn't, it would pro we probably wouldn't appreciate it as much. Anyways... And coming back to this, we realized that like beyond beyond just grappling with the fact that we, you know, we're responsible, the onus, if you will, of living a good life of genuine happiness is on us, right? We must further consider, if that wasn't daunting enough, we have to further consider two more potential realizations, uh, realizations okay? And that is that despite our best efforts, we may very well never truly lead a life of genuine happiness, okay? There's this great J. Cole line, again, I've shared it before. Fucking bitch-ass Instagram took it down along with the whole fucking cap, uh, post. But um, the song, High for Hours, I, I've posted it before on the gram. I've mentioned it before on this podcast. Uh, and, you know, the line sums it up perfectly. It goes something along the lines of, the you know, what good is taking over when you know what you're going to do? The only real revolution happens right inside of you. But there's a follow-up to that one, okay? And this one is not, this is not from the same song. It's from the Forest Hill Drive album. I can't fucking remember off the top of my head the name of the song but it goes something along the lines of the good news is you've come a long way the bad news is you went the wrong way okay and that's the idea here with this fucking spiritualization path no one knows what the fuck is going on homie we're all just winging it in life right you might you might have a fucking a uh, 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 horoscope or a fucking uh you know a fortune teller try to tell you otherwise but the reality is even the fucking horoscopes and the fortune tellers are just a story, yo. And, you know, the story is what we're using to help us wing ourselves through fucking life along the way, okay? But clearly, there's no guarantees. The best that we can do 
is arm ourselves with more of the philosophical toolkit and hope that we make rational, informed decisions along the way. But again, even in that, there's still no guarantees that you could be the most logical, rational uh, person, rather, and you still make fucking logical, (laughs) illogical, and irrational decisions, right? Um, Or that you could just be a fucking victim of fate, yo. Life, I don't have to tell you this, but that shit happens fast, okay? And without proper foresight of the future, there's simply no way of knowing where it's going to take us, leaving us with the choice of either curling up in the fucking fetal position and letting come what may be because we're entirely too afraid of this daunting fact, or or we can own up to our shit and become so fucking strong, basically, spiritually, mentally, and attitudinally that we simply are not phased by what does. Again, this is where the Nawa influence on Nietzsche uh, starts to become relevant, yo. There is no good or evil. There is only the unfolding of Teot, okay? And it is either in our benefit or it is not. And the best that we can do is try to influence this unfolding in our favor. In this particular case, by arming ourselves with the philosophical toolkit necessary to ride the waves of the unfolding nature of Teot. Now, on top of that, we've got a second realization here, the, uh, you know, and that is that it would appear as though this particular society that we're living in, though I'm sure the same could be said of many now that I think about it, right? It seems to be, I mean, I'm trying to be as, I'm trying to be as fucking non-biased as possible, okay? I don't fuck, I'm trying to be as fucking a partisan, rather bipartisan as possible. It, so I'll just bear with me, okay? There's some people I understand who aren't deeply into the fucking conspiracy shit. So I'm trying to be as fucking in, as inclusive as possible, right? Um, but it seems as though that this, stru- this society is structured in such a way that for the most part, it's built to benefit off our unhappiness, okay? Now, I say that based not only on the anecdotal evidence of my own life experience, but also on the countless anecdotal, anecdotal rather, testimonies of plenty of students and people that I've engaged with throughout the last fucking seven years of my life that I've been philosophizing as a professor, okay? Um, whether they walk into my class with no understanding as to why they are there, other than it's necessary for them to graduate with a degree, right? So they can get the job that they plan on attaining once they've done so, okay? Because they believe doing so will bring them happiness, or whether it's people that I meet at the fucking bar at a you know we're at a party somewhere who find out i'm a philosophy professor a philosophy major period right and what it boils down to essentially is that you know this negative force that survives off our unhappiness it i I hate to be so reductive but it's fucking true it's called capitalism dog right this is the real evil at least well i mean let me rephrase that it's not an evil Okay, this is completely betrayed everything I just said fucking five minutes ago and what I fucking believe and stand for. But it is not in our benefit, that's for sure. It's certainly not unfolding in our benefit as of right now. It can change potentially in the future, but right now it is not going in our favor at all whatsoever, right? So it's clear then that the way that this capitalist system is structured in this particular iteration that we find ourselves in, it's not designed for our happiness. In fact, it thrives off of our unhappiness because if you're unhappy, I can sell you something to potentially make you happy. I'm selling you something right now. I'm not charging you for it yet. I know I said I was going to inevitably, but the time will come, right? I'm trying to I'm trying to get lucrative, bruh. All right. Um, but I myself, don't, everyone has an agenda. Anyone that tells you otherwise is fucking lying. That's their agenda. Okay. We all have a story. Uh, and I'm being forthcoming with mine, and I'm telling you, like, yeah, dog, I'm fucking trying to sell you some shit, too. What am I trying to sell you? Hood philosophy. Why? Because it's different from all the other philosophy you got out there, etc., right? Um, and, you know, this is the way that this capitalist system is structured. You're unhappy in some type of way, and people out there, like myself, but mostly like corporations, right, are going to try to offer you a way to be happy, if you will, for financial exchange, all right? Now, suffice to say... With this kind of structure, the cards really do seem to be against us and trying to live this good, happy life, right? So when we take all of it into account, it's, it's, it's understandable as to why it is so difficult to not, okay, to not fall into this defeatist hole 
of self-pity and nihilistic despair. You just realize like how fucking heavily against us the odds truly are. And it's just like, fuck, why even bother trying? Why not just curl up in the fucking pedal position and say that life is meaningless? That's akin to sticking your fucking head in the dirt, okay? The problem with this logic is that this idea, as I've already mentioned before, this reductive scientific materialist approach to reality is was implanted in us by the very same people that engineered society in such a way that has us believing that taking part of all of their structures, right, will give us a happy, fulfilled life. And what I'm trying to say then is, what reason do we have realistically to believe that this is the case, right? It's what they want, is that they want us to believe that we should just curl up in a nihilistic, fetalistic, or fetal position and fucking just let life fucking do its thing. Because that's going to cause an inordained amount of unhappiness. Just look at, just look around, okay? To which they were going to offer, they will, they will offer something that will fucking try to make those people happy in exchange for financial goods. Whether it's a religion, whether it's a fucking college degree, let's be real, whether it's hood philosophy, whether it's clothes, anything, bro. They're going to sell you anything, whatever it takes, right? It's the American way of life. And any ensuing society that is built off the underlying values of the Western world, really, okay? Because it's nothing essentially more than a giant product that we've all purchased. And the cost, it's not measured in the dollar bill, but rather in our lives. Like, I don't, I'm not trying to be hyperbolic, but that's really what you're fucking paying for all of this, okay? You have the ability to either wake up from your state of fallenness and live a fucking uh, life of um, authenticity, or you don't. It's one way or another. Like, there's just, it's either or, okay? And this simple fact can be readily traced through a simple of series of questions, right, that I like to ask in my introduction to philosophy classes. Now, as I previously stated, I'm well aware, dog, I'm well aware that my class is, by and large, it's not filled with students who want to be there, okay? But rather, it's filled with students who are forced to be there. Now, just to give, you know, a little humble brag on my behalf, most of the students that are forced to be in my class, they did choose to be in my class because, right, my professor is a powerful tool, as along with word of mouth, and your boy is a pretty dope fucking professor, okay? Um, this is my way of plugging the shit that I'm going to sell you in the future, my future philosophy course, right? Not just at EPCC, but, you know, the one that I'm going to put out there for the world to purchase, right? Um, anyways, <laughs> the ones that are in my class, still even then to that extent, most of them don't want to be there, dog, right? And, you know, understandably, right? Because... <sighs> That's just, who the fuck wants to do shit that they don't want to do? Like, I get it, okay? It's nothing personal. I tell them that from the very beginning. It ain't personal. I understand. I understand, okay? Now, most of us, myself included, because I was a student at one point too, and I was forced to take bullshit-ass classes that I didn't want to fucking take, right? And, you know, <laughs> rather, you know, be, we could be generally unhappy about this fact, right? And we demonstrate it with our relatively standoff, standoffish approach to classes. And again, I've been there, right? Especially at the beginning of the semester. Especially my students when they find out their fucking college professor for philosophy is some fucking douchey hipster turd who in some instances is probably younger than some of the students I've had. I'm talking about me here. I'm the pretentious hipster turd, okay? So I've had students walk in and be like, really? You're the professor? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> right? Now, if can you imagine they were already unhappy to take my course and they see like this young fucking turd, me, the professor, like, fuck, what the fuck? What am I doing here, right? Now, I still give them a lot of benefit of the doubt because, you know, I understand full well because, again, I was there in that position. And having been in that position, I can tell you firsthand that I had no idea why I was fucking unhappy, right? But the source of the frustration seemed to stem from the underlying belief that influenced the near majority of beliefs. And that is that the class that I was taking, even if it was a class that I didn't want to fucking take, as well as all the other ones that are related to my major, were a waste of time. Or were that weren't related to my major, I should say, rather, were a waste of time. So to that extent, you know, th those students, I know me personally, I know I was right. Like, fuck, dude, I don't, I don't care about biology. I don't plan on doing anything with biology in the future. Why the fuck do I have to take a biology class, right? The same, I'm sure, is for some student who's a nurse and saying, what the fuck, I don't, I don't give a fuck about philosophy. I'm, not, I'm, I'm never going to use philosophy in my life. They're wrong. But, like, I'm really never going to use biology, but everyone uses philosophy every day. <laughs> um, anyways... Um, we're right. Like, you know, you know, it, it would certainly, I would never disagree with this fact and not just when it comes to philosophy. Right. But again, as a means of disarming this preconceived dissatisfaction that students have, I'm speaking to myself now as a professor, I like to start again the semester off by doing these two things, yo. 
The first of which being to remind them that, A, ideally, they chose to be here, right? You could say all, again, I don't, there's no excuses in this fucking tradition of philosophy. It's hood philosophy shit, right? Deeply informed with the Nawa philosophy, uh, the existential tradition of philosophy. You know, fucking just own up to it, dog. Like, you chose to be in this class. Whether it was a requirement or not, that's, that's a different story. Because, A, there's different electives you could have taken that were not philosophy. B, there are different philosophy professors at the colleges that I work at that are not me. And most importantly, see, like, if you're in college, you know the deal, bro. Like, you chose to be here. You know what the deal is. You're going to have to jump through the hoops in order to get the paper. It is what it is. You chose this, okay? Now, yes, my class is a degree, remi- a degree requirement, rather. And yes, societal for- forces, my language is not working anymore. Um, but yeah, societal forces are such that if you don't pass, you won't be able to purchase the dream that we've all been told will make us happy. But the fault in this logic, of course, is that philosophy is not, again, the only fucking elective, right? I'm not the only professor. This is not the only fucking philosophy class at this college. You just, you know, you found your way in here one way or another, and you're here. The second reason is that this one takes a lot more honesty, honestly, on their behalf to admit, and that is that at some point or another, we've all had, we've all had the questions that they genuinely believe philosophy will be equipped to answer. Now, whether people admit this or not, that's a different story. But again, I've found that these are usually the questions that have plagued most students and most people that I meet outside of, you know, the academic setting for as long as they can remember. Ones that traditional dogmas were simply unsatisfactorily resolving, right? I find this like I start to talk to students and shit. And, you know, when if they don't want to be there, they'll generally fall back to the default response that's, you know, to fulfill their degree requirement. And then, you know, I'll press them further and on the importance of doing so. And the next, you know, default response is that it's going to help my philosophy class. It's going to help them attain a degree. But then I'll keep pushing and I'll be like, okay, well, why do you want the degree? And their next response, the next default response is, well, because I want a job. So then I'll push further, of course. I'm a pusher. I push people, right? <laughs> um, and the next default response is because, well, I want the fucking resources, namely the financial resources uh, that come with employment because they're going to fucking buy me the shit that I've been told is going to make me happy. And that's the fucking ultimate point of this. But you know, why are you taking this philosophy class? Because I want to fucking experience anything near a semblance of happiness. And I believe that being in this philosophy class is going to help me do so by this predetermined pattern of behavior that we've inherited because of the story that we've repeated to each other. Now, it's here where after all the laborious questioning we finally get the answer. And that is, again, happiness, bro. There's an entire system that has been erected to profit from the very fact that people want to be happy, right? And we move through this system like rats in a maze, if you will, thinking that happiness is just is going to be just around the corner. All the while, we're being ruthlessly exploited for capital at every single fucking opening. I just read an article the other day, fucking broke my heart, yo, about the outrageous prices these fucking bitch-ass publishers are charging students for textbooks, like for other online courses. Like it's just ruthless, cutthroat, fucking just the capitalism, bro. It's just, ugh, it just disgusts the fuck out of me, okay? And, you know, we're being exploited for money. We're being milked ruthlessly at every fucking opening. So essentially then what it boils down to with this thought logic here is that we recognize that these people like you and I, right, whether willingly or unwittingly, are, you know, they're profiteering. There's people that are profiteering from our ignorance, yo, okay? And as such, they have a vested interest in remaining unable and, in many instances, unwilling to confront the reality that our lives, as structured, are entirely arbitrary and could easily, easily be done in another way, right? So what I'm trying to tell you is like, yeah, dog, we're unhappy, And there's a system that benefits from us being unhappy. Like, they structured it this way. But what I'm also trying to tell you is, like, you have the power to change that, even individually, but also collectively. Like, we can all fucking make the changes within us required to make the collective universal shift so that this is no longer the case. Like, that's that's also a capability, right? Now, obviously, this type of shit is not limited to just the classroom, bro. This is the point of hood philosophy, right? It's to make the practical ramifications of philosophy clear, So in this particular sense, the practical application is simple. We start off as unhappy students, whether it's in K through 12 or beyond, and we think that graduating is going to make us happy. 
But the fault in his logic is that we're just replacing one man-made institution with another. And if you're unhappy in college, what the fuck reason do you have to believe you're not going to be hap- unhappy rather in the, in the in the job market? None. It's fucking nonsensical to believe this, right? It's, it's, it's irrational to believe this. So in understanding this, then the goal becomes twofold. And that is to first realize that if we are inherently ha- unhappy rather with ourselves, there is nothing that we can do that's ever going to change this fact. I like to call this, this is me personally just making shit up, but everything is made up, okay? Stay woke. Um, I, I call it the, the Battlestar Galactica conundrum, and that is that we can travel a billion fucking miles in any light, in any direction, right? But you are never, ever, ever going to be able to either escape human nature or distract yourself in any fucking single way, right? You're just never going to be able to that is going to be able to help you escape yourself. It's just not possible, right? So what I'm saying then is that if you're unhappy with humans in general, good luck because they're everywhere, right? And more personally on an individual scale, if you're unhappy with yourself, nothing you ever do, no institution you ever partake in is ever going to change this fact. And to believe otherwise is fucking irrational, dog. There's only one thing you can do. He who look outwards, what's that young quote? My mind is slipping. He, it's something along the line, he who looks outward, something, he who looks inward awakens, right? She, you know, I'm trying to be gender exclusive, right? And that's what gets us to the second point, this twofold uh, realization. And that is that the point of studying philosophy is to get you to recognize this fact and help arm you with the correct tools necessary to adequately adjust. It's going to be painful. There's no question about that. It's going to be painful as fuck. And it's going to come at the direct expense of many of the beliefs that we hold deeply. But that's okay, right? (laughs) If it is because of these systems that you were in this state, or rather, it is because of these systems that you are in, that we all, for the most part, are in a state of unhappiness to begin with. So it would be insane to believe that these very systems would be the ones that are going to rescue us from it. So studying philosophy, in turn, ideally, will help us to recognize this by instilling within us the critical thinking skills necessary to recognize the deception inherent in this default mode of being that has been passed along or rather passed off as the quote-unquote purpose of life for entirely too long, dog. So I guess simply, if I'm going to keep it simple, what I'm trying to say is that the point of foot philosophy is to help us realize the extraordinary power that we have to determine the quality of our life, Right? If you're unhappy with your life, dog, you can change it. If you don't want to be beholden to the whims of societal forces, change it, okay? Straight up, we can do this at any moment. It's never, ever too late. Now, usually at this point, like I'll have students that are people in general that I'm talking to and say, well, what about free will? And I'm like, yo, fuck, motherfuck the free will determinism debate, dog, okay? It's about owning the fact that the out, like, that's just, that's just, intellectual exercise at this point it's masturbatory exercise like yes it's a very real problem but yo like how the fuck is that dealing with that gonna help you you know deal with all the shit that's making you unhappy if anything it's just gonna give you an excuse as to why to continue doing all the shit that's making you unhappy because you say oh this was destined for me i cannot change it my entire life was predetermined long in advance nothing i do will ever change that fuck off with that defeatist bullshit attitude bro own the fact that the fucking out- outcome of your life will always ever only depend on how much work we put into making that shit happen, right? We've all got the power to do so. We've all just been stripped of the realization of this fact. And taking it back, it doesn't mean standing out on the fucking corner with a picket sign lamenting the ills of society. This is me talking to me and relaying my experience to you, right? It doesn't mean crying about how fucking unfair the world is or lamenting about how tough your, your rather how rough your childhood was. I'm not trying to take away from your shit that you experienced. I'm just saying like, yo, that's life, bro. Like that shit, that is that is life. Okay? And it's you know, we could fucking we can dwell there, we can lament there, we can commiserate there with one another and other people, but realistically, well, at, at some point, you're going to have to ask yourself, is this making me happy? Or is it just Another excuse that's going to keep me away from the fact that in the end, I am ultimately responsible for my own life because God is dead. God remains dead and we killed him, right? The onus is on us. You have the responsibility been laid at our feet to either take action and make our life what the fuck we want or to stick our fucking head in the dirt or to lay in the fetal position and just come what may, right? Now, 
in order to take responsibility for our lives, we have to, of course, undo ourselves from the forces that spent so much time and resources into making us into the person that we were in the first place, the person that we are in the first place. What I'm saying is that it's no use trying to change the world. Again, it's no use in trying to change the world if we ourselves are simply going to go out into the world as the very same person that the world created. We're just simply going to perpetuate the same fucking pattern of behavior. The house always wins, bro. You can beat the house, but it's going to take a lot of fucking work, right? And this is why, for instance, both Democrats and Republicans bomb people on a daily basis. The house always wins, bro. The house always wins, right? So if anything, then, and moving along with this fucking, the, the, the theme for this part of the fucking story that I'm telling you, and is that uh, we need to learn how to think critically, essentially, okay? Hence the importance of philosophy. Because for many of us, these skills, they weren't fostered in our lives. I know that's certainly the case for me, going through these public schools in fucking America, right? Now, again, whether you're conspiratorially inclined or not, that shit's irrelevant, bro. Because there are very, very clearly these powerful forces at play that benefit from our ignorance and refusing to acknowledge this. It doesn't change this fact, yo, right? The truth, if you will, it's difficult. And some of us, we can't handle it, right? And if you're one of them, then that's fine, yo, that's on you. Like, this is an individual journey for every single person. I'm not up here trying to pontificate. I'm not trying to make any normative claims saying that you have to do this and live this way. I'm just fucking, I'm just filtering the reality that I'm experiencing, homeboy, okay? Now, in this particular sense, what I'm saying is that you got to recognize that if we continue the same model of being, being, like actual being existence that we've been socialized with, we're never going to be anything more Yo, then these fucking sacrificial lambs that are getting ready for the proverbial slaughter, if you will, right? That's been prepared for us by any number of institutional forces that did, they did take the time to recognize the world that we're living in and for what it really is. And, you know, at the end, honestly, bro, we have no one to blame for ourselves. Okay. So again, here's the challenge, right? And the challenge is then you either use the philosophy to help you fucking carry this burden that is before all of us as a means by which to confront this fact and learn the ways to overcome it. Or you can continue your current pattern of behavior because that's your choice. And you know, honestly, that's fine too. And yeah, I guess at this point, we're about over, we're well over the hour long mark. And I appreciate you for staying. It's not that far over, right? But I appreciate you sticking with me through it nonetheless. This is just another part of the long story that I'm trying to tell. So um, for sure, for sure, for sure. The little sickness of spirit, it's slowly made its way out of my body, right? So I'm going to get another one out within this week. And then by next Sunday, hopefully, uh, I'll be back on track with however many uh, podcasts I'm supposed to be on for this year. Trying to keep on track with my 52 uh, podcast goal for the year and continue along the story that I'm telling you. So until then, I hope you have a great rest of your day and I'll see you next time. Peace.